Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Huntback Country Podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, how are you, man? Doing good. Yeah. Had a uh, like a, a top five dad moment last night with my little oh, boy, yeah. dude. We were, uh, it, it was, you know, nothing, nothing fancy or special at all, dude. We just mowed the yard together. Like, oh, <laughs> but cool. he's got his little John Deere tractor and uh, he was running around like, using it to pick up sticks and leaves and um and then we literally just he just like followed me you know as i mowed the entire yard and we'd like high five each other as we you know as we push the lawnmower he'd come cruising by at full speed it was just like i don't know i was just like you know just doing man stuff with my little boy dude was like it was super cool yeah yeah Yeah, that's awesome man yeah like i'm realizing is like times you know it's getting darker earlier in a little bit and obviously it's going to be getting colder and that's one of the things i'm going to miss most is just all the outside time with you know me Mm. with my kids but then also my kids are just outside playing a ton with neighborhood kids and all that stuff and that's like the one thing i'm like man as we get into fall and then get into winter i'm really going to miss just all that outdoor time Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh, certainly nice i always just try to be outside as much as possible but yeah, as I say, other than that, I'm super excited for you to come out next week. And we got yeah. two mule deer tags, two elk tags. It's going to hopefully pile some animals up, have some fun, yeah. have some tough pack outs. <laughs> Based on some of the country, I think we're going to cover. Yeah, it's, it could be that's going to be guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're right. Just from where we want to access this country is 15 miles into where we'll be hunting deer. And then, uh, yeah should be a good little poke in there yeah i'll be ready for it i think (laughs) (laughs) i so i haven't i haven't uh i haven't told you this i've obviously said it on the podcast but i've hardly hiked at all since my sheep hunt and part of that's intentional and part of it's not part of it's just like schedule and it's been harder for me to get out but i did start mountain biking again a little bit so i've been doing that and then um just when i came off my sheep hunt i was i was like looking ahead and i was like okay i have you know four five six weeks here before the next big hunt and uh you know it was just like if i don't if i don't follow a program of some sort or like get on some sort of routine like i'm probably just gonna you know kind of half-ass it right Mm -hmm. so i did i started doing one of the mountain tough programs and it was a four-week program and it's five days a week and then so between basically between that and mountain biking that's primarily what i've been doing and then i've been doing some i don't even want to call it hiking it's more like neighborhood rucks like with the pack and taking walks and stuff but i'm curious to see how i feel going into this hunt because i obviously did the big alaska hunt and then I've been training pretty hard, but in kind of a different way. So I'm curious to see how I feel and how that translates. I think, yeah, I mean, in my experience, as long as you're moving, can, I mean, you already established being in shape from your after, after through your sheep hunt, right? Yeah. Uh, and then as long as you're moving, you might have like a, a couple days just to reacclimate. Like I always refer to as getting my mountain legs back underneath me. Like mm-hmm. I could be in, you know great shape and then just do a boatload of mountain biking but then the first few days hiking again it's just kind of getting used to that rhythm and then day three day four click by and all of a sudden you start feeling 
real good. Yeah. Invincible. I feel that like, even if I've been hiking a ton at home, obviously getting into the mountains, like being loaded with, you know, your gear and everything else, it just always feels different, especially the like oh. first big pull. I'm always like, man, yeah. have I never done this before? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, and you just can't, no matter what you do, you can not replicate just being in the mountains, you know, doing the real thing. Even, you know, I do all weighted training hikes all the time, but um, you can't like in the Boise foothills, there's not like deadfall. And so like, even if I go off trail, which I do frequently in, in certain areas, um, which is exponentially harder than hiking on trail, it's still like you get in the mountains and you've got like much crappier footing, you're, you know, deadfall everywhere, brushing your way. Like it just, it just changes everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the best, best thing for me is like, I got a tough hunt coming up. I'm going to like pre-do a tough hunt you know like going into that like the week prior um, and then be ready to rock yeah we had a listener of the show reach out and send us an email not so much with a question but more of a story and i also wanted to share this on the podcast which is pretty abnormal because we i try and keep uh other people's agendas outside of our podcast but this one i think was quite selfless and is a great thing so I just want to mention it briefly. Um, Alex is who emailed me and him and his buddy, they're both veterans and they're training to do their first marathon. And then they're doing it in part with the Wounded Warrior Project. And so they're raising money for their marathon and doing it. And they've already raised, I think when I looked like twelve or $1,400, which is awesome. But they have a goal of raising $5,000. And I just wanted to put that out there for the listeners. I will leave a link in the show description. Um, I would just love it. Like any small amount, every little bit helps. This is obviously two regular guys doing their first event, doing it for a great cause for the Wounded Warrior Project. So again, I don't. we don't typically share things like this, but uh, I just wanted to. And so if you're listening, and even if you just give a couple of bucks, uh, but we had a bunch of you guys do that, it could go a really long way. So again, look for... A link in the show description for that. All right. Um, a guy wrote in with some questions about ballistic rangefinders, and I'm going to essentially summarize, but he's looking to upgrade. He wants to get a rangefinder with some sort of, you know, ballistic engine in it, look at atmospherics and, you know, not be able to just hit the button and get a range in terms of distance, but also get some sort of calculated solution an MOA or Mills or whatever he's shooting. And he was asking several questions, but again, I'm going to summarize and say that part of his question was he feels like the technology is still growing and evolving and changing. And he's hesitant to buy now, knowing that changes are going to continue to happen. Improvements are going to continue to come. And then he was also somewhat debating like a, a handheld ballistic rangefinder, just a rangefinder versus a rangefinding binocular. And then in part because of growing technology, he was more hesitant to purchase a rangefinding binocular because the investment is higher and then he's essentially paying more to get um, out of date quicker versus like a handheld ballistic rangefinder 
the initial investment is less. And yes, there's going to be updates mm-hmm. that come, but essentially you, you haven't, you don't have as much sunk cost. So he was wondering what our thoughts were on that. And I think it's a very valid point. Like to be totally frank, I, I faced that a little bit myself because I used to run um, the Zeiss range finding binos and I got the Swirl range finding binos. And then I even came a little bit to the same place where it was like, I don't know that the perfect option for what I wanted at the time existed. And part of me, part of me is holding out hope that that comes. And then part of me was like, yeah, until it does, I could have a really capable handheld range finder with a ballistic solution and like a super, super high quality, just dedicated binocular for essentially the, you know, the combined cost of having an all-in-one unit. And I will say that the all-in-one units are fantastic and there's times when I miss it, but functionally I also haven't felt handicapped by not having an all-in-one like ballistic range finding by now. Um, I've lost some convenience for sure, but I haven't felt handicapped, if that makes sense. Hmm. What are your thoughts there, Steve? Yeah, I mean, the technology is going to, you know, you're almost buying binoculars as if it's like another iPhone, like you got three, four years out of it. And then if you want to stay up with the latest and greatest, something better is going to come out, but that's just going to continue to evolve. It's once you start throwing, said basically, technology into these these you know binoculars and rangefinders like it's just going to keep getting better and better i'll say like i mean i've been running the el range tas for three years now um and they they do i can't i don't know how much better you can get i mean the maybe the the ranging isn't uh like they'll probably get improve on that like the um to me, is SIGs do probably the best job of you push the button and you get a reading back very quickly and very consistently. Um, so they can maybe improve on that over time. But frankly, they've been fantastic and they're it's accurate. And it's doing everything it needs to do. So I don't certainly something you could buy and and run for 15, 20 years. You know, like maybe if you're, um, I, I guess for my capabilities, it's it does everything I needed to do. Right. Like I'm, I'm not yeah. trying to shoot, you know, uh softball at 1500 yards or something like that, where uh, as technology improves, that's going to get more and more accurate, but just trying to hit the vitals of a, a deer or an elk at, you know, 500 yards, it's certainly well, um, re- you know, giving me accurate enough readings to make those shots. And so it's, again, it's doing everything I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I get, you know, for me, it's a little different because, well, obviously with like SNS, we sell all the optics. We always got demos coming and going. I get to try a lot of different things. I'm, I'm not in that uh, situation where, you know, I got to save up money for uh, a year or two to buy something. And I want it to, you know, be the latest and greatest and last for 10 years, but it's just never, that's never going to happen. Right. Like we, um, you, the second you make a purchase, you got to understand that companies, if, if they're doing it well, they're continuing to evolve and make, make their products better. And, uh, you know, eventually whatever you buy is going to get outdated and uh, that's either sell it and move on to the latest and greatest or live with the fact that you don't have the latest and greatest. Mm-hmm. There's like some very um, minor points, I think, like I can highlight just again in my own experience of having a dedicated 
range finding bino or a handheld rangefinder. And one of these, this is again like very minor, but people may, maybe this influences the decision. If you hunt with people um, a fair amount, there's some potential that a handheld rangefinder is easier. So like if you, an example, Steve, would be you and I, and let's say I'm the shooter and my ballistics for my rifle are obviously going to be in my device, not your device. And so there's maybe a, a more dynamic situation where we're getting set up to shoot, but the animal, animal is moving, you know, a little bit. And I need you to range, or maybe not need you to, but it'd be convenient to have you range as I'm, you know, maybe set up mm-hmm. or setting up. But you need to use my device because it has my ballistics for my rifle, not yours. It's potentially maybe easier for you to do that with a handheld versus if I had a range-finding bino. Like I know that if I were to hand you my binos, you would have to change the bridge a little bit, adjust the eye, cup, eye cups, et cetera. So again, I know that that's like very minor, but I do mm-hmm. think that's something to maybe consider versus like if I hand hand you my handheld rangefinder at this point and you just hit it, like there's a little bit less fuss there. Um, and then I'm curious for you, Steve, like because you did go back to some more archery hunting this year with the, you've have been using the ill range TAs as you said for a few years, but that's pr- primarily for rifle hunting. What was your experience in archery season this year? Oh yeah, when I go archery, I switch back to a handheld. Like if you're okay. going to do both and you can only have one rangefinder, go handheld in my opinion for sure. Uh, okay. When it comes to rifle hunting, though, I think there's a huge advantage to the binoculars. I, I, yeah, thoroughly in, enjoy having them and the convenience that they offer. You mm-hmm. know when. You're just, it's just so easy to, because when you're looking through your binoculars, you lose depth perception, right? Um, and just to be, to just be able to have the button right there at your fingertip and go, oh, that, you know, that's 500 yards. It's in range or, oh, no, that's a thousand yards. Like to have that convenience to me is pretty awesome versus, yeah. oh, oh, there's a deer over there. Okay. Put my binos down, get out the handheld, try to, you got a much, you know, not near as nice of an optical system to look through. You're trying to refine what you were looking at to get mm-hmm. a range. Like, yeah, to me, if you're a rifle hunter, get binocular range finders. Um, if you're a bow hunter or if, or also a bow hunter, the handheld is, yeah. I just, I can't, I haven't even tried to bow hunt yet with binocular range finders just because I just can't, <laughs> I can't imagine it, right? Like, um, yeah. yeah, like, you know. When obviously you just got done with September and bow in one hand, you know, you're kind of crouched down on the ground on your knee, ducking behind a bush. And like, it's just so much easier just to grab the range right out of my pocket and get a range versus, you know, having to deal with a bigger, bulkier binocular. I just don't see it. I'm sure some guys are doing it and they make it work. I just don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I just have a tough time visualizing how that works out well. Yeah, man, it's just more bulk, more movement, et cetera. There's, I think it'd be tough. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just in tight to the animals where it's, again, that movement you just mentioned. Yeah. All right, it's another question that came through uh, short and sweet, but I, I think it's worth touching on. This guy said, I have heard you guys talk extensively about using Onyx and previous podcasts and for your hunts, but I haven't heard you mention Go Hunt and their mapping features. Have you used GoHunt maps and is Onyx better in your opinion during a hunt? 
And, and this is kind of a second point, what functions in Onyx do you use during hunt? And I know that, Steve, that's a larger topic because we probably don't use what we could or should. But first of all, uh, Onyx and Go Hunt, for me personally, I haven't used Go Hunt in the field at all. So that's a pretty short question. I've played with it. I know some guys who use it. Um, I've just, you know, been so happy with Onyx. It's what I've used really for ever. Um, I used an Onyx chip and an old GPS before they even had the app. It's comfortable. I don't, you know, have complaints about it. So it's just one of those situations where like a, a lot of quote unquote gear items, when I find something that works and meets my needs, I just stick with it. So that's what I've mm-hmm. done with Onyx. Um, I'm not sure if your experience is different there, Steve. I yeah, literally never even looked at Go Hunt maps. Um, I've heard good things about them, um, but I've I've never even seen it in person. The only other one I've used is Base Map. I hunted with somebody once, and they were running Base Maps, and the topos were a lot more detailed than what I was seeing on Onyx. Um, and I think I bought it, bought a subscription, and used it for a year. Um, I think it was actually up on my sheep, my doll sheep hunt last year. I downloaded it because the topos were just significantly more detailed as far as just, you know, the, all the little topography changes. Cause sometimes an Onyx all, um, yeah, it's like you're, you're looking at the map and then what I see in person doesn't always match up. Like, um, where the base map had like more, more lines in there and showed more. But other than that, uh, yeah, all I, right now, all I use is Onyx. And I've just been incredibly happy with it. As far as like when Cody born and raised was out here, like they're sponsored by Onyx and they're much, much more familiar with all the features that it has. And I kept getting pissed off because he was like doing something like, what are you doing? You know, I was like, I didn't know I had that feature. I didn't know I had that. Like (laughs) I just got to do the basic stuff with it. And by the end of it, I was like, you know, like, dude, you need to, I need to take like a weekend long class on all the features in this thing. Like it's, uh, I think Onyx probably does a pretty good job if you're paying attention. I just don't pay attention to everything that's going, like all the new features they've added. And um, certainly a complaint in the past was downloading maps and they've they've just really recently changed that. One of the things Cody was doing was you just like put your finger on two different dots and it'll give you a measurement right away. Like I was, I would, I was still like grabbing the, the draw line function and drawing a line between two points. Um, as far as out there in the field um really it's just um i guess i was i mentioned that last month i meant i was running tracks through onyx which is which was super helpful uh, at the end of the day to kind of see where you've been and then or out over the course of the week just to kind of see all your tracks and like where you crossed and mm-hmm. and then i'm always adding waypoints i mean every time i you know i find a wallow i find water uh if it's an area that um Maybe even I'm not even backpacking at the moment, but if there's like a good, like, oh, this would be a really ideal spot to set up a tent, I'll mark like a camp spot. And then obviously every time I get like an encounter with a, with an animal, you know, drop a, drop an elk pen or whatever that I saw that animal there and then use that, those data points, you know, over time they accumulate, right. And three, four years of hunting an area, you're, you can start to get a pretty clear picture of where the elk are living and moving through the country. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yeah, there's so many stinking features, but when I'm hunting, yeah, it's, it's really just, 
I like to be in the topo mode a lot. Um, and then I'll bounce through to aerial imagery just to kind of get a, a better picture of what we're looking at. Uh, we were hunting a lot of burn country, so it was super nice to um, kind of skip back over to aerial images and, okay, here's the burn, here's the timber. Um, I don't know, but it, there's so many stinking features that it does, though, that um, I'm certainly not the the best to talk about. Yeah, my use is pretty similar to yours. I would say fairly minimal, but it's really just marking waypoints for different reasons, you know, whether it's sign or, as you said, camp spots, animal encounters. You did have my curiosity peaked about doing some more with tracking after last Monday minute, and you talk about that. Mm. But otherwise, like the only time I tend to turn on tracking is maybe if I think there's potential of backtracking through an area in the dark or something like, oh, we may need to remember how to navigate this yeah, or something, you know, a situation that's kind of unique. Um, and then otherwise, you know, after a shot, um, you know, I try and take like set a waypoint from the shooting location. I'll try and project a waypoint to where the animal was and then just turn on tracking both for my approach to the animal's location, but say it is a situation where the animal, you know, moved and I need to do any sort of tracking, obviously having tracking on during that, um, is helpful. And obviously you could drop waypoints and, and things like that in terms of blood tracking, but thankfully knock on wood, I have not had to do, uh, much extensive tracking in that regard, but it would be incredibly helpful. The new ranging feature they have, like, I mean, if you, if you're solo, and say you shoot a deer at 450 yards, but like the topography, there's not like any identifying features. It was just standing in the middle of a big old patch of brush or something like that to mm -hmm. be able to like the second year you make that shot and you know, you're, there's not a follow-up shot that's happening. It's ran off and disappeared, like stand right there. You know what you ranged it for when you shot. So then you can kind of basically point the phone. That's that direction. And you, sh you should be able to drop a pin and get an accuracy of, you know, plus or minus five yards, I would think. Um, to be able to go over there and then start looking for blood. I, like in the past, that's been such a, I had that happen on Kodiak, our first trip up there where I, you and Mike were packing out your buck. And then I went and hunted solo and mm -hmm. I that, shot that buck that I never could find. You know, and once I like got down into where I was, where I thought the deer was standing, I was just, I just, you, it's like you're in a corn maze. Like, was I here? Was I over there? You know, got so turned around that, um, it'd be super, super helpful to have that feature now. I know that Onyx has done a really good job too of trying to like communicate and inform people. I just have been so busy. I haven't tuned into it. So going back to this idea of, hey, there's so many features. I've seen where they have had YouTube videos and webinars that they recorded. Um, I know there's one specifically. I've had it in my watch list on my YouTube profile for months at this point with every intention of watching it before fall, but haven't done it. Uh, but it was literally just like a walkthrough of all the new features they released, I think, earlier this year, and then mm -hmm. how to use them on hunts this fall. So the resources are there, I think, to learn it quite easily and, you know, make the most of it. I've just been lazy in terms of relying on what I do know and not realizing how much I can probably do, which I'm sure would be well I, worth the time to learn about. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it was exaggeration though to say it's like a, a two to three hour probably watching those YouTube, these tutorials to like learn all of the features. Like it's um, in a, I guess in a good and bad way, it's like, it's so robust now that 
uh, if you want to take full advantage of it, you you got to put in the work to to figure out all the features, which it's probably worth doing. But I I think we've said before in the past, and I certainly think this holds true. Like the not necessarily just Onyx, but any of these mapping softwares that do all these different features, it's really changed changed hunting in a, a dramatic way as far as increasing your success out there in the field. We need to like at some point do a we need to make a hunt and go we can't use anything that was created after 1980 it would be <laughs> so fun justin uh nelson that you know works works for us at sns um he had the idea he wanted to do a film and like make everybody use stuff that's like from 1980 or older you know yeah. like like blue jeans flannels crappy Dude. like old pack frames uh, rifles with open sights and like a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty cool idea uh It'd be fun. We need to make that happen. I just think it would be, it would expose how spoiled we are. Right. Um, I mean, I was even thinking of that, like on my sheep hunt, you know, people are like, oh man, that sounds like such a tough hunt and whatever. And yeah, yes, but it's like, there's guys been doing this for decades who didn't have near the comfort and convenience that I had to do that sheep hunt. Like, sure, it was still difficult, but I mean, I'm have a fancy shelter and technical clothing and electronics and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, it's yeah, it's all relative. Yeah, a lot, a lot more advantages. Yeah, I think you have to be a lot. You don't have to be near as mentally tough as you probably used to be, right? Like you can, for the most part, you can buy. You know, you can have really good gear and stay comfortable and stay dry. Uh, you know, you've got all these advancements in shooting and ranging and binoculars that, uh, yeah, I think the certainly a lot easier than it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. That reminded me, this was not intentional, but I, there's a book called campfires in the Canadian Rockies. And it's basically kind of like a, a journal that a guy made about, um, a trip that he took as it says up in the Canadian Rockies and they hunted sheep and bear and mountain goat and all kinds of stuff. And I'm trying to remember if it was in, if it was even in the 1900s. I think it was. But anyway, it's a pretty easy and fascinating read. If you just want some like very fun hunting stories and like to read about the quote unquote heyday of they were just finding animals everywhere. But then they were also talking about you know, just what it was like back then. And again, this was written more of a personal journal. I don't think was intended to be a book. It was more of like cataloging their experience, but it's a fascinating read. So I'll leave a, a link to that. And it's a super easy book if you don't want to pick it up and quote unquote read a book. Like you could, because it's more of like a journal format, you can just kind of like, oh, I'm going to pick this up and read about, you know, this entry or this day or this part of this trip. It's a, uh, it's a cool book. I picked it up before I did my mountain goat hunt because there's some mountain goat hunting stuff in there and it's pretty neat. And it has some really cool old photos too. Nice. Anything, Steve, before we wrap up on listener questions, uh, I'm partially asking this personally. Anything you're weighing about our hunt coming up? Like, is there something to talk about, quote unquote, publicly that may be helpful or just anything in your head where you're making gear decisions, strategy, looking at weather, anything like that? 
Not really, man. I mean, weather, there's no nothing forecasted to come in as far as storm-wise. I think we're going to have kind of just, you know, really pleasant, if not like a touch too warm. Um, I'm really curious, like the deer numbers in here, yeah, you know, used to be good and not getting great reports. So I think we got a tall task to find a couple of mature bucks. Um, I've been in this country, we're hunting kind of a completely new area that we've never hunted hunted before but i've backpacked through it and i know there's elk there um yeah i know it shouldn't be much hunting pressure because we're certainly getting far enough away that there's not going to be too many people back there not have to worry about that i i'm just excited to get out there frankly yeah cool well hopefully we'll be back with uh some stories of both success and maybe some lessons yeah. learned and maybe licking our wounds we'll see <laughs> <laughs> um one thing i do want to mention i think like charity golf tournament like yeah i think this is happening uh and i want to get a good idea of certainly i mentioned it on the last monday minute and we've got quite a few guys reaching out being like wanting to help or get involved and i just want to get a good idea of how many people would come so if you're interested and you know i think we do it like in june of next year come fly out and i want to do like a you know like fly into town thursday big like do a big barbecue cool thing at the exo warehouse thursday golf all day friday do some of you know dinner event that night and then you could you know maybe do something saturday as well but if that's something you'd be like yeah i'm 100 percent in shoot shoot us an email uh i guess just shoot it to me so just steve at exomountaingear.com and let me know i want to get a good idea of you know how many guys are interested in that yeah i don't I've certainly uh i don't know how many hunters are also golfers i'm sure it's more than i realize yeah we'll see yeah, I think it, I don't know. There's you and I, and I, both of us have had so many different ideas rattling in our brain, but definitely the idea is not just to have like, oh, we're going to go do a round of golf with a bunch of dudes. Like, as you said, we want to have some events around it, some creative things to do during it. So I think even if you're an extremely casual golfer, you, there's just going to be a lot that hopefully we can pull off and make it something pretty neat. Yeah. I think we're basically going to be limited to i think you could have it's like 216 golfers which you know it like, sounds like a big number but also i bet if we we could sell that out in in a 24-hour time period if we once we put tickets up for sale for this thing so mm-hmm. um but it, maybe yeah maybe that's maybe i'm maybe there's uh not that much interest in it so yeah. again yeah reach out <laughs> let us know gotta get the gauge <laughs> yeah. yeah we gotta find out yeah yeah uh, all right Sweet. Well, thanks, guys, as always, for tuning in. Uh, If you want to let us know about the golf thing, if you have a question for the show, any feedback, anything like that, uh, shoot us an email to podcast at xmountgear.com. We say that all the time. We really do, though. We're especially this time of year and going into like wrapping up fall season. You know, we sit down and look at the year ahead and look at 2024 and the quote unquote off season and think through different topics and guests and, and what we want to do with the podcast specifically in the following year. So if you have any suggestions on that, we're always open to it. I'd love to hear from you. Again, just shoot us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com and we'll talk to you soon.